The following podcast contains references to and recordings of people drinking alcohol. We are professional bartenders and hosts of this podcast, so please listen to professional. Always drink responsibly and get a safe ride home. If you'd like to be a guest on Wasted Knowledge, contact us at Wasted K Podcast or find us through Blurberry forward slash Wasted Knowledge. Thank you and enjoy the show. Really solidified an intro to this. Uh, yeah, we'll so get one down. Cheers, guys. Uh, cheers. Thanks for coming in. Uh, it's, of course, myself, Sean, TC, and Juan. Yep. I don't know. How much of an accent do you like on your name, by the way? Is it? I like to say it really dramatically, Juan Fernando Cortez. Oh, fuck. At, well, yeah, no one told me last leisure. day. Okay, good. So we're <clears> using <throat> your real name. Uh, is that right yeah. if you're drunk on podcast? It's fine. Cool. His career is one that is yeah. encouraged well, to be drunk. Associated mm. with such things. To a certain extent. To an extent. Yeah. Classy drunk. Public uh, intoxication, tolerable. Public nudity, not tolerable. <laughs> not um, that so there's a fine line. We're not in public yeah. right now. So. Well. <laughs> and you're, so, you're not going to be drunk in a bar, so yeah. you're fine. So speaking of which, what is your profession, Juan? And what are you an expert in? Uh, I'm definitely not an expert in anything yet, uh, or probably never will be. But this is a short podcast. I'll see you guys later. (laughs) Go get me a beer. I'm just kidding. What do you Um, do? Yeah, that's. I work as a sommelier. I've been doing that for uh, many. For let's see, I started in about 2011. It's kind of hard to judge exactly like where I started because a lot of people. I mean, if I took a job and had the title, and that's when it started, then I started in about 2012, maybe 13. But um, for several years I was kind of looking for a place it's a very niche career there isn't a lot of uh, a lot of restaurants in need of a sommelier or a lot of uh, a lot of places in need of a sommelier so it uh, it took a little while I, I for some reason decided that I wanted to work in nice restaurants and, and work with good food and good chefs as a sommelier as opposed to like say running a bottle shop working for a distributor one of the many many other options that tend to be more lucrative uh, with better hours and better benefits um, and all that sounded so unappealing for some reason. <laughs> I was like, no, let me work in a restaurant uh, on the floor, late night, and uh, occasionally manage to get some gratification out of it. But uh, for the most part, it's just it's just fun to drink, good good booze, and uh, interact with cool people. Agreed. Yeah. Gratification. I think that's an incredible word. Thank you. I'm pretty sure it's an actual word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The Rolling Stones didn't use it. What? Yeah. Yeah? They were not like, I can't get no... Gratifaction. Gratif- no, that would have worked. So it maybe it's not amazing. really a word, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I do I do consume a fair amount of alcohol uh, professionally. 99% of the time I spit. The 1% of the time that I don't, it's usually because it's too good and I don't, wanna, I don't want it to leave my body yet. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that's part of my job description, which I don't think most people get to get to say, so it's fun. And uh, kind of tastes a lot of cool shit over the years. So, there is that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you were kind of distinguishing, you might have been, it might have been starting in 2011, might have been starting in 2013. Is that like you got certified, but you're waiting to get a job that was, that hired you for that? Uh, no, not really. I, um, well, so I was working, oddly enough, um, I, I, I gotta say, like, I was never somebody that, like, wanted to have, a, like, a normal career. You know, I always thought, like, I would be bored too easily doing uh, something uninteresting. So I just kind of, I worked in restaurants for a long time because it allowed me to have uh, a flexible schedule, i.e. like when I was in my early 20s, I could work 
14 days straight, save up some money, and then go take off for a couple of days and sure. go kayaking down, you know, the Edward River, or go camping on the App Trail, or go to the beach, uh, go explore somewhere. And so, um, I, I was in that career for a while. And then when I decided that I didn't want to work in restaurants any longer, I went to go work in uh, in Alaska. I went up there, uh, sold my stuff, moved up to uh, Anchorage. I have a brother who lives in Wasilla, so I stayed with him and then got myself a job at a cannery in Dutch Harbor, went and worked in Dutch Harbor um, at the cannery with the goal of becoming a fisherman. I thought that was like, I thought that sounded really good and that's what I wanted to do. So I managed to get on a boat, on a uh, boat called the North Sea, uh, near the very end of one year's um, king crab run. Uh, I worked at a cannery for about a year before that and then um, went directly from the cannery to the boat. Then they asked me back the next season for snow crab, so I worked snow crab. And, uh, you know, you work a lot, and then you have extended periods of time off, which was really nice. Um, so I think we got done in, like, March or April, and then I didn't have to be back on. I, I went and worked at the boat in uh, Seattle uh, in between the two seasons and got to live on the boat, live in Seattle. So it was a good job. It was fun exploring. But it was brutal work when you were actually in the winter out there Bering Sea. Um, like, you'd work really long hours. It's very exhausting work. It's always very cold. Your body was constantly burning, uh, burning all its calories. Um, um, I, I'm motioning, not meaning to interrupt, just yeah, want yeah. to make sure you're, you're, little, little you're, red wine. you're well drunk. Um, or well taken care of, whatever. Thank you. Yes, yeah, a little red wine. Um, but yeah, so I, I worked, so I worked this job glasses. for about two years. Yeah, we need some more glasses. Um, I'd love for you guys to have some. I, I, yeah, just pound that and put it in there. But yeah, so I, I worked this job. Uh, I did that snow crab. So I did, started in the king crab season. Did snow crab. Worked the boat in the summer. Worked another um, king crab. Worked another snow crab season. Um, and then uh, the government kind of uh, limited the quota the next season for uh, king crab. And so our company had three boats and they condensed the team down to two and only took two up to the Bering Sea. And I, being one of the newest guys on the ship, was told that I, I had to wait. Um, so, I, I mean, I had months, you know, and I had money saved up. So I uh, came back home and, like, traveled for a while, wasted a bunch of money, uh, got wasted a bunch. And then finally I was like, I need to get back into the, you know, the swing of things. So I took a job at a restaurant and started working at a place in Roswell called Bistro VG. And the manager there would taste with wine reps during the day. And I, you know, having a curiosity about wine, uh, I've always loved wine since I was a kid. Um, I started jumping in and tasting with her. So that's the point where I could sort of like started pursuing this as a career. Where I started like thinking about it because she encouraged me. She's the one that told me about it. Um, that manager, her name was Jennifer Velasquez, and said, you know, you should come and uh, like you, you should make sure you're there all the days that we have tasting, and then help me pick the wines for the list, and then um, kind of explain to me what a sommelier was and that, you know, there was a couple of positions like this available in the city of Atlanta. There wasn't very many. There was like the Ritz-Carlton um, in Buckhead, the Ritz-Carlton in uh, Midtown in Atlanta, as well as Woodfire Grill, mm. Bacchanalia in Atlanta, and Canoe, yeah. uh, or and, uh, and Restaurant Eugene in Canoe. Uh, they were the only restaurants that I knew of that had like an actual sommelier on the floor. Um, and I think Canoe's 
restaurants. Yeah, I think it was there. There was more like of a beverage director that you might be able to, you know, yeah. order wine from at some point if he's there. Actually, I believe we have a server that, uh, from the last month or so, he took his. They're going back to Somalia. I want to call it step one, but I know it's not really level mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. Uh, certification. So I believe he's taken that. I don't know what happened, to it, but knowing the person, it, there's no reason he wouldn't have passed. Yeah, you guys, phenomenal. <clears throat> yeah, so. I, um, so there might not be a position, but there's should be one there. So it's, it's kind of like, but it's a, there, there's limited opportunities as far as like, mm-hmm. you know, because that was what I wanted to do. Like, I, I like working with chefs and I like working with food. Um, and and I, I, I also have to mention, when I grew up in, in Colombia, uh, my, I grew up in, um, lived in the city of Cali in Colombia, and my father has a hotel outside of the city um, called Osteria El Meson de la Sierra. And he used to make his own wine and... He used to throw parties with his friends. We'd come up on the weekends uh, sometimes when we had extra rooms available. And uh, his friends were usually like, foreign people and, you know, like mostly European, Greek, and Italian. And uh, they loved to party. They loved mm. to play music. They loved to stay up all night and dance and drink. And I would stay up with them oftentimes till I like, fell asleep at, like, the table. Uh, and they would let me drink a little bit of wine. Not very much, but usually, like, I mean, like, basically what I'm having right now. Right. A little, like a copita. Well, yeah, a, little, a slug. Yeah. Um, and, but they'd be like, you have to eat and drink. Mm. Uh, I used to love cheddar cheese and, and uh, we used to drink a lot of red wine from Spain, like Garnacha or Rioja or whatever. And I liked, I liked sharp cheeses and red wine, like soft, silky red wines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and what I was, when was this? Um, this is when I'm like five or six years yes. old. We were not bougie. Uh, that's for sure. We, we just kind of hey. bought whatever we could. <laughs> um, but so because of that, mm. I've loved wine since I was a kid. So then all this, you know, like, fast forward 2010, you know, when I'm 26 years old and I'm like, hey, I, uh, I you know, I think I might have actually found something that I, because the, the fishing thing was kind of like, well, I don't want to have a boring life. I put myself in a situation where I could have a job on a boat, get paid a good bit of money and have a, you know, somewhat like, it wasn't a boring life. Let's just say that, you know, sure. uh, stacking pots, at, you know, watching the sun come up when there's 60 mile an hour winds raging and the seas are 40 feet like that that doesn't it doesn't suck it's very very beautiful and interesting and you um but it's also really hard work like back-breaking labor so that's kind of what led me to be like hey maybe this is actually a better career choice for me and so then i started looking and i wound up the restaurant eugene wow took a job at uh as a bus boy so that i could get my foot in the door i just said you know from day one like i'll uh I want to work my way up to the position of sommelier if, you know, now you know that that's why I'm here. It'd be cool if you give me an opportunity. It's something that I kind of think is missing from a lot of people these days that I meet, especially in the hospitality industry and everything. But you went to Anchorage, Alaska and worked in a cannery. Yeah, it was brutal. Disgusting cannery for a year. Let me tell you what the first day. Because you wanted to be a fisherman. They hire you. They buy you a plane ticket. And they told me the wrong date. And so they call me one day and they're like, Juan, where are you? I'm like, what do you mean? My flight leaves tomorrow. And they're like, no, it left today. They're like, we're going to have to buy you a second plane ticket. Now I was already in hot water with them. And then that day, that afternoon, I started feeling kind of shitty. And my brother and his girlfriend both had the flu. When you're flying in, especially when you're flying in in the winter, uh, Bering Sea is just like, it's such a dark, ice-cold-looking blue that 
you're like, how the fuck does anybody live anywhere near this ocean? And then the mountains just like come straight out of the water and they're like just white. And then you get there and say you have a, a, a fever and you have the flu. I get there, like land at like four in the afternoon. The lady picks me up. She's like, you're already a day late. Hurry up, go, go, go. Takes me to my uh, like barracks style. It was an old barracks from uh, World War II, uh, a Navy barracks, which is where we stayed. And like I threw my bags in a, in a bunk bed. And then she takes me to, uh, to the, the warehouse with the cannery. Uh, this was a company called Harvard Crown. It was a small little company within the island. There's much bigger ones. And uh, she was just like, we're going to get you started right away. Like, go get started. They hand me this, like, uh, it's called uh, uh, wet gear. You know, it's like rubber mm. overalls, rubber, mm -hmm. ja rubber jacket, rubber gloves, extra tough boots. Uh, that's a brand of boot that everybody wears out there. And um, there's a crowded, a crowded locker room. Everybody kind of knows how to get dressed. I don't know how to get dressed. Once you get dressed, you also need to, like, modify the, the wet gear so that it fits you well. And, like, you know, and they give you a helmet. And... I go in there and I don't know what to do and this Filipino guy comes and starts yelling at me. It was like being in like boot camp or something. Uh, and he's just like, Filipino sounds like they're just, the, the language, you know, especially when they're yelling at you in Tagalog. Yeah. It sounds like they're cussing you out, even if they could be saying the nicest things about your family. <laughs> and it sounds like awful. Um, you know, it's just very machine gunny. Cortez, ah! You know, like start yelling at me right off the bat. I was like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. I am sick. Right now, I want to fucking vomit, and I want to die. And uh, I go in there, and uh, the first job that they did, and this is what they did, it was by design to break people, to put you on the gut line. So you rip the guts out, and then once the guts are out, you push the guts and the fish away, and you grab the next one. And um, it's brutally hard labor. You get covered in guts. Um, the smell of the guts is pretty awful, uh, particularly the smell of the milk, which is like the male... Yeah, eggs yeah. um they, yeah, they get all eggs. over you they get all over you man uh and you are covered head to toe in this stuff and it's the worst thing ever and on top of that i was sick and uh that first day i managed to get through my 12-hour shift and then went back to the uh to the room and i told the guy i was like i'm gonna call out tomorrow and he's like you already missed one flight you're gonna call out tomorrow they're gonna cut their losses and fire you he's like do you know what it's like to be homeless in dutch harbor in the winter like the hotel is 200 something dollars a night and he's like a flight's a thousand dollars out and if you're on the streets he's like you can die it's really really cold i was just like fuck what did i get myself into like i was literally very 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 scared um but like once i like i took like three or four days to get better mm -hmm. and once i healed everything else was kind of like yeah, nothing could be worse. Nothing than, was worse than like getting there, yeah, landing at four, being, guts. being on the gut line by six, and uh, not knowing what. And the security you? guard that we had two security guards at this yeah. at this place. One of them was black, and he had been in, in uh, like in the Bloods in L.A. The white one was from Long Beach, and he had been a, a neo-Nazi, and he had a the the like just like in uh, American History X, he had the swastika over his chest, and he had the. Uh, a tattoo of Hitler on his back and they lived together and they were best friends. It was really weird So it's like the end of American History X. Yeah, well, it's more like yeah, so and, and which is Harvard. sweet like that's It's sweet we're, we, it is, I mean, it's I, they were both like we both got out of the gangs and you know, we have yeah. that in common uh, They were best friends um, They would uh They would like be like Juan go get us a bottle of rum meet us at our apartment 
and there was no pretense whatsoever. That, that this does, was not like that sounds scary in general. No, like, even well, TC said that to you me. You were you were not allowed. Like, to, like you couldn't be like no, because then they come to your your room and be like, well, did I tell you to give me a bottle of rum? So you would go and you buy a bottle of rum, and then I would sit down in their apartment, and they would go about their day, and I could either just leave the bottle of rum, or I could sit there and drink a little rum, just to get something out of it. And like they wouldn't hang out or interact, they you'd just be sitting next to the bottle and they'd just be pouring themselves drinks. And like when the bottle was like almost done, they'd be like, "All right, man, you can leave." It's very wild west. Who were there for? Yeah, there there were pe- a few people there who were there for the money and the job, like you said, like they do fish processing. Well, everybody's Dude. there for the money, but some people like you, and even the well, the crazies were there to kind of escape. Well, the, the cannery gives you everyday food reality and housing. They pay for your ticket in, they pay for your ticket out. And, Rotation. That was a pretty good experience. So right before getting into the court and getting into work, working in restaurants as, as a sommelier, because it's just kind of like I appreciate it that much more, you know. And uh, and that's what, yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. Like you learn how hard you can work. Exactly. You, you worked know? at a cannery like crazy because you wanted to be a fisherman, but you had no problem going to the bottom. Uh, it was the bottom for sure. And, and working your way up. But then you go to <laughs> the restaurant. That has sommeliers, and you're like, I'll bust tables. And then, like, six, you know, I, so I decided to pursue my career as a sommelier. I think it was, like, about two or three, two years into my career, uh, because I was working at a restaurant in Jean. It was a fine dining restaurant. We had clientele that wanted to spend money and, and enjoy really good products. There was one champagne house that I'd buy a lot of their champagne. And they're just like, you know, you buy a lot more of this than almost anybody else. And they're hitting their, like, 100-year anniversary so they want to invite some of their best uh, clients to come to Champagne and visit the winery and meet the winemaker and you know uh, learn more about them and hopefully cement that relationship for life. And uh, so they're like, you know, you want to come. So I just remember thinking like, you know, it was like four years later and I was like four or five years after I was working on a fishing boat and working in the canneries. It was like house. I'm in a I'm in Claude Giraud's house in Champagne having dinner with a bunch of really fancy people when we're drinking outstanding wine and have a French chef cooking in the backyard for us. I was just like, hmm, you know, <laughs> good career choice. I think I, I think I went the right direction. Oh, no, that's awesome. And yep. it is quite the uh, night and day of careers. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I, th- I still think about that, that composition of, of people that work in restaurants and it, it maybe not as an extreme of a sense, but close is... From, from the people that sound like that are at the cannery. Yeah. Like, you get in restaurants, and even at Canoe, like, there are people there that were ex-cons that have yeah some crazy-looking, ta- gnarly-looking tattoos, we'll say. I mean, a lot of them were, were con- you know, felons convicted of violent crimes. When I, uh, when I worked at, when but, I was, uh, took the job at Bistro VG, um, so I think it's, yeah. oh. after, uh, uh, after, you know, after having been in the, in the cannery, one of the first guys that I met, he was really interesting. He had been an executive for Sony Music and um, had retired with a very nice retirement and um, decided to, as a, like, retirement uh, project, decided to go into the real estate business. This is right before, like, 2007. He lost all his money and his wife was very upset with him because of the fact that he lost all his money so she left him basically took the last of what he had and uh he had been one of the regulars and he'd been one of the best clients at that restaurant so he went to them he was like hey i'm humbled i'm embarrassed 
I need money. I don't have money to pay my bills. Can I work here? Uh, so they took him on, and uh, he worked there for about two or three months, but he could barely, he was in such bad shape, he thought. He could barely move. He could barely, like, you know, we were talking about this earlier, like, you get a little bit older, you see, you feel yourself, like, moving a little bit slower. Yeah. But he would just be, like, completely winded and, like, worn out. He went to a doctor and found out he had a uh, coronary blockage, and that he, they were like, dude, you're going to have a heart attack, and you're going to die, like, pretty like you're this is gonna happen soon so he got surgery got it fixed and uh while he was working at the restaurant met a a, a lady and started dating her courting her and then uh, they like were about to get married and moved to charleston i remember being like man that's crazy like it was like two months but i'm like i worked with this like sony music executive that because he when he told me the story he was like if i had just stayed retired he's like I probably just would have had the heart attack the fact that I lost all my money and had to run around like crazy is the only <laughs> reason that I ever found out that I had this blockage and that I needed to get it fixed. Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun industry to be in. You do get to see crazy people from all sorts of walks of life. And uh, and you get to you definitely, if you work in restaurants for any period of time, you're going to have some stories. What are we drinking? Uh, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> Red yeah, wine. so we, you know, we start off with... Uh, Plantation pineapple daiquiris, yeah. which is uh, it's great. Uh, I got caught a little bit unaware as I didn't, I, I wasn't sure if I was bringing wine or what we were doing. So oh, I got sure. I got this at the store right before coming out. Uh, it's the main de uh, Beau Renard. It's a Rasto, so it's uh, wine from the Rhone Valley. So as y'all can see, it's a pretty full-bodied, um, rich red wine. Um, which I also got a, another wine, a, a lighter white, but we're chilling it right now. So we started with this. Um, but it just struck me for a couple of reasons. Um, I don't even really know the chateau, but I was reading on the back. Um, so Rasto is one of those like little-known communes in the Rhone Valley that you can uh, you can always find really cool wines if you look at like Cairon or uh, Costa de Nîmes, uh, uh, like Rasto. Even just a, a simple Cote de Rhone from a good producer, you can almost always get a really really good wine, and that tends to be my go-to, even though. I know wine fairly well. I rarely catch myself spending a lot of money. It has to be a, definitely a special occasion, you know, a special person or a special uh, moment. So this is the kind of stuff that I like to drink on a day-to-day -day basis, like under $20. Um, it's, a, it's a Demeter certified wine. So uh, this winery not only doesn't use pesticides, everything's organic, but they also, um, they have a plant, you know, the winery is biodynamic. So this is, I think, fairly everyday knowledge for most of us that work in the industry, but for people that aren't in the industry, uh, biodynamics is a, a thought process behind farming where you have to view your vineyard as a uh, as what it really is, which is a biosphere. And you have to take into account, you know, what what how to keep a biosphere alive. So not only do you not use chemicals or poison of any type, uh, in, in any of your day-to-day um, -day processes, but you also have to kind of respect the balance of life. So you have to keep certain parts of the vineyard um, just wild mm -hmm. because there's there's a lot of organisms that need to be in a vineyard, need to be anywhere where you're hoping to get something uh, agricultural. There, there's a lot of uh, creatures that take, uh, that have a part in the process. Yeah. Uh, and that's what biodynamics is about really interesting almost like counterfeit uh wine mm. industry oh yeah out in the 
China and Japan. <clears throat> well, China mainly, right? China is notorious for, um, like, for example, when people bring in nice bottles of wine to the restaurants that I work in, um, sometimes they want to keep them afterwards. I secretly mark them with the date, with a Sharpie. You know, I'm whispering like this isn't in a fucking podcast uh, because that should fuck them over if they're going to turn around and sell that. You can turn around. There's ads on Craigslist. You like can sell. You can, well, you can sell a bottle of wine via eBay to somebody somewhere in China uh, or surrounding areas. One, like once a nice bottle of wine, somebody brings in an 82 Margot or, you know, something like that to your restaurant. And then they're like done. I could turn around and sell that bottle. I would never do it because... I think it's stupid, and I just, I don't, I would not feel comfortable personally profiting from that, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, it would, I mean, it would ruin your career, I imagine, you know, maybe not, but I, I, I would imagine that that would be the case if anybody found out that you were doing that, but otherwise I could have made a couple thousand dollars over the last couple of years of my just selling uh, empty life, bottles. just selling empty bottles, especially if I had the cork uh, as well, which is like a, a big mm-hmm. part of it. Uh, you're, you're paying for. I mean, I, I understand like, that some of them are amazing, but you're you're well, kind of paying for. Well, those aren't even going to be things you're going to drink, right? There's, you're just paying for the the fact that you own. Well, it's like saying like, okay, say in like in ten years from now, if we can go to the moon, because you're very rich, which you will be able to, thanks right. to Elon Musk, I'm sure. Um, is he it cooler to it is it cooler to experience it from up there? Or, like, how much better would it be to just go to a fucking IMAX theater, 3D, you know, eat a bunch of mushrooms, and <laughs> watch it there? That'd be pretty fucking cool, too. Yeah, and you know a lot saying? cheaper. And a hell of a lot cheaper. <laughs> so that's the difference, you know what I'm saying? Like, w- one's being able to say, like, yeah, baby, I went to the moon. It's cool to do that right now. Yeah. But, like you said, you're almost paying more for the, the bragging rights or the allure at that point. And that's where, like, being a sommelier, like... One of some of the some of the things that I've gotten to do that would have like a little be a little excessive, you know. I've had collectors come into our restaurant and say like, "Hey, we want to bring in like we have, between the group of us we have uh, all the first growths from Bordeaux from 1982, highly regarded year, very very highly regarded year." Um, and they were like, "We want to have a dinner and we want to drink these wines. Can we come in and do that at your restaurant? You help us out, create a special menu, make it a memorable evening." And then when I did that, at one point I remember these guys like poured me, it's about three ounces, it was kind of like a foolish glass yeah. of uh, I want to say it was like 82 Lafitte, and they were just like, they were like one, you can have this, but you have to pound it. <laughs> and I was like, what? You know, I was like, if I get fired for this, that would be hilarious. I'd probably be able to put that on my resume. 100%. You know, um, so fired I was just for like, pounding yeah. So I was like, I was like, fuck it, you know. Here we go. Threw it back, and they were just like, chug, chug, chug. That was what they paid for. The experience being able to say, I made the sommelier of Restaurant Eugene pound a glass of 82 Lafitte because I was <laughs> drunk, and service. I thought it was funny. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, YOLO, bro. You know? G- give me that thing. Um, and that's that, that's that adds to the experience, man. You want to say, like, one of the most amazing things that I've been able to witness in the world of hospitality like one of the few changes is that um millenn- you know everybody hates on millennials i think it's a, a subject of conversation on like sites like reddit and stuff like that 
um, Pinterest or whatever. Not that I, you know. You are a Pinterester for sure. No, I've, I've seen your account. No, I don't have an account. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> anyways, the Lots like of the, crafting. the young the young generation, the younger generations, millennials, whatnot. Uh, a lot of times, they're much better guests than people that are like 20, 30 years older than them. I think um, there was a, a a point where everybody was trained like if you're ever unhappy in a restaurant, you have to throw a tantrum, you have to get very angry and then everything will get taken care of for you and that became like a way of life um i remember one of our servers jimmy he was telling me when he used to work on windows in the world which obviously doesn't exist anymore but very like fancy restaurant in yeah. uh, new york and uh, world trade center he once saw a, a lady who was very much enjoying her meal when she was done open up a little ziplock and pull out a uh, a fly and drop it in her plate and he was just like, he watched her do it. And he's just like, what are you doing? And that was like part of the experience. Like take the experience to the next level, enjoy the food and then get it for free. But that's something that I don't think like the younger generations have really, uh, th- I don't think they've been trained to do that. I don't think they're they're into that. Uh, shot break. Uh, on on st- like strictly look, worrying about, hold on, shot. <laughs> I sit like, mine. Unexactly profits. Like so, like some restaurants cut family meals. Uh, some restaurants say, "Well, you can't have a shift drink." Uh, or many do now. Yeah, um, shift drinks pretty much not exist. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's it, you have to be pretty indie, or Unless you have you to not have your GM look at you because you're a bartender. Uh, sorry, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sidetracked by my own shit. Uh, but when it really, really comes down to it, like if you engender a sense of community within your staff, that carries over into their professional. Oh, for sure. Uh, well, like I said, when we were at Restaurant Gene, I, we'd always we took pride in calling each other out for every single thing that we did not do right. So when mm-hmm. people would, people would, you know, uh, at Den- in Denmark at Noma, there was kind of an extreme example. Although it really wasn't that extreme when you consider the way mm-hmm. people did it at restaurant Eugene you know we had this guy named Mario that I used to tell people like he's like the chihuahua he like he'll just fucking bark at you and nip at your heels you can almost always recognize people that worked in the hospital well I've said I've said it a thousand times said a thousand times that I think one is less of a prick I think that yep exactly (laughs) when you turn 30 18 oh or when you were maybe 17 18 when it's time for you to be an adult enjoying <coughs> the real world. Or 16 for some. 16 for some. Um, I've done a lot. You should be forced into one of two things, and that's either <laughs> armed <laughs> service yeah, yeah. or hospitality. hospitality. And I don't care if you go into retail or food service. But you should be forced into one of the two so that you learn to respect people and toughen the fuck up. Those are the two things that I think both of those things will teach. So 100%. many people come in and like just last like two days and then they're like, 100. You've got a lot. Yeah. I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna complain about it. Like I, the amount know. of time I got in trouble for making people cry for a long time. It's a personal problem. You're the crying. On them, right? Not me. Yeah, no, that on them. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're crying. I cry a lot. 
It's not a work. It's only when uh, Celine Dion plays, though. Um, <laughs> she does okay. have a beautiful voice. Right. Are you right? We should like, go see her in Vegas. That somehow completely phased me. I'm like, I had a thought, but then you said Celine Dion. I was like, oh. Oh, man. Let's, let's be honest. In your head, you were like, okay. Far, wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really Don't gets to you. Don't let go, Jack. All right, fucking let go, Jack. This shit is cold. Is this still <laughs> recording right now? <laughs> yeah. I, I, no, I need you to check so we know that that was still on happening. <laughs> so all the people that you're gonna bring on here, how about asking people what's the most fucked up thing you've ever experienced in your industry? Uh, yeah. I feel like you want to tell a story, so. I had a, I had a. One time, while I was a restaurant gene, people. When I was a restaurant gene for a certain amount of time, I've been there for like about two years. Because this is such a, like the business of the sommelier is such a niche career, people started coming to me, oftentimes saying like, "Hey, I've heard about you," and I'd be like, "Who the fuck did you hear about me from?" They're like, "Well, from this guy," and I'd be like, "I have no idea who you're talking about." So that's a little bit weird, but on the other hand, I feel good about my career if people are coming to me saying like, "Hey." I decided I want to be a sommelier and I was told to try to come work for you. So it turned into like a bit of an ego booster. It's right? funny because when people heard that I was going to work with you, yeah, they said, I love Juan, but good luck working with him. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Most of the people that came to fucking work for me did not do very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I love Juan. I'm, I'm, I love fucking <laughs> off. I love having a good time. But at the end of the day... You know what I fucking love? It's my good professional career where almost no guest... I, I cannot think of any guest that has ever complained about me. I cannot think about any situation where I walked away a loser in a hotel or in a restaurant setting. I expect my, my people that work with me to know the wines that we, we, we pour and know all the liquors that we have and know all the cocktails that we have. And, uh, you know, have I... Have I always been perfect at this aspect of my job? No. But that is kind of like the standard that has been created, you know, to be very, very fucking good at your job. And and then when people come around, like, sometimes, you know, most people don't really want to work that hard. Most people just want, like, the reward. They don't want the actual pain or, you know, the, the things yeah. that go into fucking, you know, making things great. So I've, uh, I've also had a lot of people that, you know, probably thought I was a dick, and I'm sorry, but, you know, so, so it happens. Own but it. Anyways. At one point, there was a guy that came to us, um, and he came in as a host, and he was a big dude. Uh, he was tall, probably like at least six foot four, and maybe at least like 240 pounds. He was big. Um, and he came in as a host, and he was very much like, yo, you know, right off the bat. Because people would come in, and they'd be like, oh, you're a sommelier? I want to be a sommelier. And it's like, well, you can't just... Say you want to be a sommelier and become a sommelier. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you gotta like buy a bunch of books, start studying, make a plan for when you're gonna take this test and that test. How you're gonna learn? Try to find a mentor. Start going to the tasting groups. There's a lot of work that is involved. You know, get into the right restaurant and then really just like focus yourself and find a way to get yourself into the career. Uh, and so this was one of the guys that came in and just kind of like seemed to be more uh, talking substance. No big deal. We brought him on as a host, and he kept asking questions, and I was like, buy this book, buy that book, read them over and over again, you know, make a plan to take your exams, 
start going to a tasting group, then we can talk unless I see commitment. Um, and uh, before we even got to that, he showed up to work one time, like, fucked up. Obviously fucked up. There was no hiding it, you know? Uh, I understand that he had, like, later, it, it, I had been told that most likely he had, like, been taking Xanax, and he had gone to brunch on a date and uh, gone to a restaurant and had unlimited mimosas, and he had uh, taken Xanax and also just drank his fair share of uh, free, low, low quality, you know, copious quantity available booze. And uh, anyway, so he came to the restaurant, and he was just obviously drunk. My, my buddy, Alex, been in this situation a lot of times. He was like, I'm going to walk him out to the parking lot, make sure that he leaves and gets in his car. So uh, he walked him out to the back door of the restaurant, and then he went on his way, and then I stood at the back entrance, like, just kind of a little far back, and I watched Alex come back, and he was like, yeah, he left, and I was just like, man, I just had a weird feeling, you know, as one sometimes does. So I just stood there and waited, and waited, and waited, maybe waited for, like, two or three minutes, and I was like, oh, I'm just being neurotic. So I started to walk away from the front door, and right as I see, right as I start walking away from the front door, I see the door open, and I peek, and I see what I think is this guy open the door and run into the kitchen and so I go down I turn a corner to where the door is and then there's another corner that leads into the kitchen and I turn around and I see him and he's running into the kitchen he runs up behind our executive chef uh, and fucking swings back and just like literally like just swings back and just He's trying to knock this motherfucker out, but the chef like is sitting there sautéing some stuff, and he he leans forward and he punches him in the back of the head, but he kind of glances off of him. At this point, I've been yelling though, so a couple of the guys on the line like perk up and they see him, and uh, they kind of grab him and like yoke him up. And then at that point, he realizes he missed his punch. He realizes everybody's on him. Get the fuck out of here! And turns around and walks out the door. That's pretty fucked up. I wish it could. I wish I. I wish it ended there. It only got significantly worse from there. So, I. I'm. I yelled. I was. I. I was like, call nine one one. One of the chefs called nine one one. We report that a disgruntled employee has come into our kitchen and attacked the executive chef. Dude leaves. Apparently. Runs across the road to a restaurant across the road from us that was very crowded. And he runs in that restaurant and starts freaking out. And then when the uh, cop cars show up, he decides to run across that restaurant and just, he's a big fucking dude. He just bowls over a bunch of people. So at that restaurant, they call 911. They're like, somebody just, like, knocked down a bunch of our uh, guests. So the police direct their attention to the place across the street from us, at which point he runs back across the street. By this point, we're kind of watching. So, and this is Peachtree Street. Yeah. He runs back across the street, and then by this point, it's probably like nine or ten cop cars. They've blocked Peachtree. Uh, the cops are like on foot running after him. So he runs into the parking deck of our uh, restaurant and starts running up the ramp. 
and the cops are running after him. And one of them pulls up next to him and, like I said, he's a big dude. He fucking grabs this dude and throws him down. Which is, like, the wrong thing to do because then, like, up ahead, there's a curve. There's a spot where, like, other cops are. And he runs up on a bunch of cops. And I remember going outside and looking and, like, looking to see what's going on. I, I have to, like, duck down to see what's going on on the bottom level of the parking deck that's kind of slightly higher than where we are. And I just see the cops, like, whooping his ass. They were just, like, you know, he, he already knocked one guy down. He ran up on him. He tried to fight him. They just beat the fuck out of him. Then they, I don't even know how it happened, but they wound up, he wound up in front of our restaurant on the sidewalk, and he was crying, and he was like, saying, he's like, oh, I didn't do anything. Why is everybody beating me up? You know, kind of like freaking out. Dude, he was cut up in his head, cut up in his face, cut up in his lip, blood streaming down his face. He's handcuffed on the sidewalk. He's freaking out. And we were just like, this is before we opened the restaurant. Yeah. Probably the most fucked up night I've had in a restaurant. Right. Juan, we appreciate your input this evening. Thank you for being a guest. Hold on, hold on. I can't share. Oh, you have an empty glass. glass. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. Pig pool. Pig pool. pool. Those who don't drink pig pool. The lip biter. It's lip stinger. Lip stinger. Yeah, from the Langedoc. Not not appropriate. Delicious uh, and cheap. Thank you, sir. Cheers. It's been a wonderful show. Coming in. Cheers. Cheers. Everybody have a good night. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Wasted Knowledge Podcast. If you'd like to contact us, follow us, or be a guest, please tweet at us at Wasted K Podcast. Find us on blurabury.com forward slash Wasted Knowledge. Uh, and also follow us on either for updates as we'll be doing live events and talking to anyone that's really an expert in anything because that's what we do. Be safe out there. And again, always going to say fried home. Cheers.